Amen, church. In this moment, let's remain standing and let's continue to worship the Lord. Let the last line of that song just be pressed into your heart right now. Isn't the Lord great? Isn't he awesome and glorious? Pray with me in your own heart this morning. Father, we're here today to proclaim your greatness, to sing of your glory, Lord. And Lord, we admit that there is nothing glorious in this earth apart from you. Lord, there are so many things every day that clamor for our attention, Lord. So many things that that grab our affections, Lord. But you, you alone, O God, are the only one that is truly glorious and awesome and worthy of all praise and adoration. And so, Lord, this morning, we come in. And Lord, we come in with the baggage of another week. But God, we pray right now in this moment that you would just drop all of that for us, Lord. Strip it off of us, God. And Lord, allow us to truly worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, Lord. Allow us this morning to see the glory of the great God of heaven and to see the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, in a way that we've maybe never seen it before. And God, we pray that as that happens, Lord, that we would leave this place changed by your presence and your glory. Lord, we admit that each one of us, Lord, is powerless to do that in and of ourselves, powerless in and of ourselves, totally powerless. I am powerless to do that this morning, Lord. We need you, Lord, to come and to move among us. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and to set our eyes on Jesus Christ and to help us to see him for who he truly is in all of his glory. And so, Lord, we call out to you in desperation. God, come and do that this morning. Come and move among us. Come and show us the glory of the Savior of this world, Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us leave here rejoicing in him, delighting in him, changed by him, and living on mission for him and him alone. Lord, come and lead us in it, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'd invite you to take a seat this morning, Harvest Ottawa, and uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to be with you today. As Ray mentioned, I had the privilege of coming up here uh, myself in the core group phase, but it's a joy to be back and to see the faithfulness of the Lord. Isn't it amazing, the fact that Jesus Christ promised that he would plant his church, and here it is. How awesome is that? How awesome is it that you're in this building and that the word of God is proclaimed each week and that there's a testimony for Christ here in this place? That brings us great joy. Down in Niagara, we often, and you may not know this, uh, but you have many brothers and sisters down there who often, often pray for this church. From the core group stage on, even today, just a couple prayer meetings ago, we had a section of prayer dedicated for the new church plants, Harvest Buffalo, Harvest Ottawa, and Harvest Albany, and Harvest Quebec, Lord willing. Um, And you have many brothers and sisters down there praying for you. And so I come this morning, we come this morning bringing greetings from them in the Lord, um, knowing that you are loved by many in Niagara. And so it's a joy to be with you this morning. This morning, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it up to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up right now. We have some ushers uh, coming around right now. They'd love to get a copy of God's word in your hand. Just put your hand up, keep it up high. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, If you don't have a Bible at home, that Bible that you get, that is your Bible. You take it home. It is not stealing. It is a blessing. And Ray would be glad for you to have a Bible in your home that you can open every day, read every day, and see the glory of Jesus Christ revealed in the word. So if you don't have a Bible, take that with you today and devour it. 
This morning we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read a few verses today, just to get the context in a moment, Uh, but really we're going to focus in this morning on verses 17 and 18. Just a quick summary of these verses. Uh, These verses have been some of the most impactful verses in my own life. I think the first time that I really remember coming across these verses in a powerful way was about four or five years ago. Now, I'm sure that I'd read them several times before. Back when I was in Bible college, we had to read through the Bible every year and then twice in the last year. And so I'm sure that I've read them, but they'd never hit my heart the way that they did a few years ago. And a few years ago, I was in a, in a season, even in ministry, where things were a little bit dry. And I I'd felt like, okay, I'd been growing for so long in such great ways. And I just felt like, you know, things were tapering off and things were growing stagnant and came across this, stumbled across it, not by coincidence, by the grace of the Lord, read these verses and the light of God's word just shone into my heart. The Holy Spirit just turned the lights on for me in that moment to see that everything that I had been doing to pursue change in my life at that point was actually counterintuitive to the way that he wanted me to change. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into verses 17 and 18 and just unpack that this morning. And really, this morning's message is a message about change. It's a message about change. And now I know that that makes some of us squirm almost automatically in our seats. As some of us don't like change, okay? Hands up if you're, if you're a change person. If you just love stuff to change all the time, okay? Some of us do, some of us don't. I'm kind of, to be honest, the person that I'm like, okay, I'll change my socks and my clothes, okay? I will change um, my clocks at the right time of the year, and I'll change my snow tires gladly, Okay, get those things off the car. But outside of that, I don't love a whole lot of change in my life. But listen, no matter whether you're a change person, a person that just loves change, that thrives on it, or whether you're a person that resists change, listen, the Lord wants each one of us to be changed. He wants us to be changed. He wants us to grow day by day, step by step, moment by moment, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. The big word for that that theologians often use is sanctification, okay, sanctification. We're maybe not going to drop that word a ton this morning, but we're going to unpack that word. We're going to unpack that process, the process of after you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, what happens after that? How does God change us to be more like his son? Listen, this morning, God's plan for your life is really simple if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's to be like Jesus, Now, here's the awesome thing. You're like, wow, that's a pretty tall order. Yeah, it is a tall order. Listen, here's the awesome thing. That is not fully dependent on you to do it. It is dependent on God to do it, but he does it in a very specific way through the work of his Holy Spirit in your life as you turn your gaze of faith to Jesus Christ, he transforms you. And so let's do this. Let's jump into the text right here. Chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 12 down to verse 18, just to get the context this morning. We're only going to focus in on verses 17 and 18 this morning. And here in 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul is writing and he's contrasting the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, with the New Covenant. And his main point is, hey, listen, 
If the old covenant came with glory, such glory that Moses' face shone and the people couldn't look at it, how much glory does the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ have? And he's highlighting that point, and so let's jump into it at verse 12. Since then we have such a hope, he says, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I don't know if you caught all of that in there. Those verses that we just read are absolutely packed. But right there in those verses, Paul lays out the entire process of change in the life of a believer. In fact, he he backtracks beyond that and he goes to when we were yet unbelievers and he says, listen, if you're an unbeliever and you don't know Jesus Christ, there's a veil that is over your eyes. There's a spiritual veil. That spiritual veil is sin. It's bondage to sin. And that veil of sin is only lifted when we turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And then he fast forwards a little bit in the Christian life and he says, now listen, when you turn in faith to Jesus Christ, the veil is lifted, but that's not it. God's not done at that point. Listen, God's goal isn't just to save us, convert us, justify us, and then instantly up to heaven and we're gone. Otherwise, he would just take us immediately when we came to faith in Christ. God's goal in our life is to mold us to be like his son, Jesus. And so Paul breaks into this and begins to explain what it actually looks like for us to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ and to be transformed to be like him. It's a pretty awesome process that we see here. Notice what he says in verse 17, and we have to see this. We can't miss verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so Paul starts the whole change process in verse 17, saying, hey guys, it's the Holy Spirit who does it in your life. Now I want, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the end of verse 18. We've got to get these kind of two bookends that sandwich what he's saying. Notice the end of verse 18. He starts with the Holy Spirit, end of verse 18. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, keep that in your mind. Now we're in a good place to go back and unpack a few of these things that are said here. And if we want to see God at work in our life changing us, if we want to see God doing his work of lasting change in our lives, we need to get a few things out of this passage this morning. Here's the first thing that we really need to get. I think it's already up on the screen for you. Listen, God's process for lasting change in my life and in your life, it requires believing firmly in his promises. I want you to see that right from this passage. I want you to take your eyes right now and just look down at verse 17. So important that you have a Bible in front of you this morning. Look down at verse 17. I I don't want you to think that I'm just making this up. I want you to see it right here in God's word. Notice verse 17. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there might, maybe, you know, if things go well, be freedom. Notice that he says very clearly that where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. How awesome is that? How awesome is it that God says over each one of our lives that where his Holy Spirit resides in our lives, there is freedom. Wow. Amen. Amen. There is freedom in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let's get this this morning. We need to understand what, what is being said here. Listen, what's being said here is that God has secured our victory. God has secured our victory. How has he done that? Well, he has secured our victory through his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ, God's son, came into this world, lived a perfect life, sinless, absolutely sinless, absolutely righteous in every single way. As far as the law was concerned, Jesus Christ, perfectly spotless. Not one of us in this room today can say that. Not one of us can say that, you know, I've lived a perfect life. We might come in this morning thinking, hey, I've lived a pretty good life. Compared to, you know, my neighbor, I've lived a really quite righteous life. Compared to Jesus Christ, not one of us is righteous in any way. But Jesus Christ lived a perfectly righteous life. And yet, he died on the cross for sins that he didn't commit. Why did he die on the cross? You know, so many people will tell you today, well, Jesus died as a religious martyr. That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is that Jesus died as a propitiation for our sins, that the wrath of God was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin debt through faith in him. Listen, Jesus didn't die as a persecuted religious martyr for a good cause. Jesus died as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's awesome. And listen, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust in him from the heart, when we believe in him and we trust the gospel, God does this amazing thing. He takes his Holy Spirit and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us to indwell us. Do you get that? Do you know that? That at the moment of salvation, you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Now think of that. Look at what this verse says. This verse says that, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're like, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that every believer gets the Holy Spirit immediately at the moment of salvation. I'm just not sure about that. Can, can you show me that from the Bible? Sure, good question, okay? Yes, absolutely. Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 1, verse 13. That's a great reference to write down if you're not sure about this. Ephesians 1, 13. Amazing verse to memorize. Listen to what it says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, meaning you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, now catch this, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How awesome is that? 
Get that this morning, that the moment of salvation, when you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God gives you his Holy Spirit to indwell you as the seal and the guarantee of your salvation until the day of glory. That's awesome. Now get this reality this morning. If the Holy Spirit indwells you, look back down at verse 17. If he indwells you this morning, which the scripture says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now get verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Wow. God is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How awesome is that? That's God's promise. That's God's declaration over your life if you're a believer that where his Holy Spirit resides, there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Wow. Maybe you're like, well, to be honest, the week that I had, I really don't feel like there's much freedom right now. You know, with the year that it's been, I just, I'm struggling to see that right now. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're struggling to see that right now. Maybe you're just struggling to believe that in faith, that there is freedom for you in Jesus Christ this morning. Listen, I get that we all go through hard times. We do. There's, there's ups and downs to our walk with Christ and there are hard seasons. And maybe you've been through some incredibly hard things that, you know, this year if I were to share some of the most difficult things of my life that, that I'd just, I'd be embarrassed to share them. I don't want to undermine that in any way, but listen, that doesn't change the truthfulness of God's word. His declaration over your life, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you're at, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is freedom to be had in Jesus Christ today. Now, the awesome thing about this passage is that it says that, but it doesn't leave us hanging about how that actually happens in our lives. We hear that and we say, yes, but just give me something concrete and tangible so that I can move forward in. Here it comes. Here it comes. We see it right here in verse 18. And what Paul does here is incredible. He declares the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ through faith and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18, he unpacks the entire process of change for our lives. And now most of us, if we were just to take a survey right now of how change actually comes in our lives, most of us would probably have at the top of our list things such as trying harder, working for it, Prayer, we would incorporate prayer in there. That's good, we, we need to, okay? We would say, you know, learning God's word, those sort of things. But I wonder if at the top of our list would be the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul has at the top of his list. I want you to notice what it says in verse 18 here. Let's look back down at it together. And here's what we're gonna do. Verse 18 is packed, so we're gonna break it down into about three parts this morning. Notice what he says. And we all, that's believers, with unveiled face, meaning the veil of sin has been lifted. Yes, he's not denying that there's indwelling sin, okay, but the, the blinding veil of sin that stopped us from seeing Jesus Christ has been lifted, and we are now beholding the glory of the Lord, and notice what it says, are being transformed into the same image. How awesome is that? Notice what he says. The veil has been lifted and now we, through the eyes of faith, are beholding the glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the, the term that is used to refer to Jesus more than any other term in the New Testament is Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord, Jesus Christ, through faith, are being 
transformed. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning, but we've got to get this right off, right off the bat here today. God's process for lasting change in my life and in your life, it requires that we believe firmly in his promises. Yes, that first and foremost, but it also, it also involves this. It involves beholding the glory of Jesus Christ continually. Beholding the glory of Jesus Christ every single day, moment by moment, day by day, seeking to see Jesus. You're like, well, how do I do that? That's what we want to unpack this morning. What does it actually look like to behold Jesus Christ? I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice very clearly the process of change given here. Paul's process for change isn't a 10-step program. Paul's process for change is not willpower. Paul's process for change comes through beholding, through seeing, through faith, Christ. In all of his goodness, in all of his greatness, in all of his very specific glories. The word behold, the word behold here in the original language, it really means to behold. That's what it means. It means to, to reflect. It um, means sometimes to look in a mirror. Now, maybe some of your translations say uh, beholding or looking in a mirror. Does anyone have a translation that says that? Okay, maybe a couple. Um, that's, that's kind of there. It's inferred in the text. It's the idea of seeing and looking or gazing intently at something. Okay, anyone? Uh, we just had a, a couple, a guy from our small group and his fiance got engaged. Okay, and we, they were standing at the back of the church a couple of weeks ago and telling everyone that they just got engaged and everyone was cra- congratulating them. And uh, the guys were throwing high fives and giving them a hug and saying, this is great, Eric, right? And all the girls, they come over and they want to come right over to Bethany right away. And what do they want to do? Okay, they want to they gaze at the ring. They're like, ah, and they're just gazing intently at the ring, okay? It's almost kind of like that. It's almost that idea of, of staring intently at Jesus Christ through faith. That's what it means to behold the glory of Jesus, is to stare intently at Jesus through faith. Listen, change doesn't come simply through trying harder. Change in your life, lasting change is not gonna come through giving it your best shot. It's not gonna come through just white-knuckled attempts at obedience. There's gotta be something more that happens to transform us bit by bit. Change, change in our lives, lasting change comes through faith in Jesus Christ as we see and savor him. When we look to Jesus and we behold him in all of his glory in the word and all of his greatness, our hearts begin to be transformed. And as our hearts begin to be transformed, our actions are then transformed, our minds are transformed, and change, lasting change by the grace of God in our lives happens as we behold Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's why we say so often, listen, you can't do this on your own. You need God's grace in your life. You need God at work in your life. You need to pray that God would open your eyes to see his glory. Why? Because only God can do that through his Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question this morning. This morning, would you say that you are actively and consistently seeking to behold the glory of Jesus every single day? Is that that top on your list this morning? Is that on your list this morning, actively seeking to behold by faith 
the glory of Jesus Christ through the word of God every single day. I love what George Mueller said about this. George Mueller, as many of you know, a great um, missionary to the orphans in England and had uh, several orphan houses. When George Mueller began his ministry, there were about 10,000 orphans in care in all of England and there were about 100,000 children in prison because there was no orphanages to care for them and because they had committed different crimes. And George Mueller, at the end of his ministry, that number was actually, in fact, reversed because of his legacy and because what God did through him, okay, there were 100,000 kids in care and only 10,000 kids in prison at the end of his ministry. And George Mueller had the gifting to care for over 10,000 children himself between him and his wife in their three orphanages. Now, now isn't that a lot of work? That's a lot of work, okay? To care for 10,000 kids over a lifetime. Wow, that's incredible. And George Mueller was just an amazing man of faith. And he would get up every morning and they would, they would pray together and they would often pray and see God just deliver in miraculous ways. Just the most amazing ways. Some days there wasn't food for the tables for these children and they would sit down to pray at the breakfast table and they would pray until the food showed up. And you, you never knew how it was gonna happen. Miracle every time. Man of faith. But listen to what George Mueller said. It'd be so easy for George Mueller to say that the greatest work of his life was the orphanage and the ministry to the orphans. That's not what George Mueller said. George Mueller said the greatest work of his life was to wake up in the morning and to have his heart happy in Jesus before his feet hit the floor. He said the greatest work of his life was to wake up and in a fresh way every single morning to see the glory of Jesus Christ and to be touched and transformed by it. He said that is the greatest work and when that work happens, it empowers all of the other work every single day. Wow. Listen, if George Mueller, a man of faith that he was, a man of great character, a man of incredible wisdom and Bible knowledge, if he needed to see the glory of Jesus Christ in a fresh way every single day, how much more do you and I need to see it every day? Listen, that's where God actually meets us and transforms us. I love what John Piper says about this, and I think this quote will be up on the screen. John Piper says this, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long-term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. Listen, if you're stuck right now, if you're in the place where you know you're saved, but you're stuck, you're in a rut, it's been a dry season, it's been a hard season, sin's got a grip on you, it's got a hold on you, and you're wrestling with it, and you're trying to resist, but man, you're getting crushed. Listen to this quote. This is an amazing quote, because it's God's process for change in our lives. It's God's way of bringing freedom in our lives. He says this, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. Listen, when our hearts begin to delight in God, when we see the glory of Jesus Christ through faith in the word, and we are captured by it, and we're overwhelmed by it, and we're in awe of it, all of a sudden, we are gripped by the glory of God, and our lives begin to change, bit by bit, moment by moment, day by day. I hope you see that in the text here. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We're being transformed. And listen, if we read that this morning, I should cause us to ask really two important questions today. We should ask two questions. First of all, we should ask the question, 
If I'm transformed by the glory of the Lord, well, what is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of the Lord? What does that, what does that even mean? You know, I, we hear so much about the glory of the Lord, but what does that really look like in tangible terms? We should ask that. And then we should ask the second question, how do I go about beholding it in my daily life? So let's just break that down. Let's start with the first question. What is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord in some ways is a little bit hard to define in a crystal clear sense. And so I'm going to take my best crack at it this morning with some help from guys like John Piper and John MacArthur. One commentator, he wrote this. He said, uh, the glory of the Lord is the intrinsic beauty that emanates from his character. And I thought, wow, that sounds really brilliant, but I have no idea what that means because I just need someone to say it in plain English to me, okay? I did. That sounds amazing. It's, it's the intrinsic beauty that emanates from his character. What does that mean, man? And so John Piper really helped me out here, and he said it this way, and I think this is the best, clearest, most practical definition that I've heard. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of who he is. Just think about that in part for a second. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of who he is. We just sang a few minutes ago, how great are you, Lord? You know, as I was singing that song, it was pretty cool. The Lord was pointing to very specific glories in my own heart. You know, as Ray and I were praying before the service this morning, God was pointing to specific glories through his prayer of, of God's attributes, of his, of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his power, of his greatness. It's the intrinsic beauty that emanates from his character. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of who he is. I love how John Piper goes on to say this though. He says, it's the going public of God's holiness. God is holy. We get that. That means that he is perfectly morally pure in every single way, but it's so much more than that. He is holy in all of his perfection, in all of his attributes. And that means that he is completely set apart. He's completely different than us, totally unlike us in every single way. And Piper says that it's the going forward, it's the going public of God's holiness. It's God putting his holiness on display for his people to apprehend. God's glory is his holiness put on display so that we can grasp it, taste it, see it through faith and savor it. Think of all the examples of the glory of God coming down in the Bible. And when I think of the glory of God coming down, I for sure think of Moses on the mountain, Exodus 33 and 34. Think of that example, the one that's referenced here in this text. But I also think of the glory of God coming down in the temple as the temple is being consecrated through Solomon. And a cloud of glory descending on the temple so that the people could see it and stand in awe. I think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples are there with him and he is transfigured. He's transformed before them. It's pretty amazing that passage on the Transfiguration, Matthew 17, uses the exact same word that's used in our passage here. Jesus was transfigured. Jesus was transformed before them on the mountain. But one of my favorite passages about the glory of the Lord has got to be Isaiah chapter 6. Great little Bible study for you this week. If you want to dig in to see the glory of God in an amazing way, go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and read the first 10 or 12 verses there. And go back and read about how Isaiah 
has this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. The great king, King Uzziah, reigned for 52 years, died in that same year. He had a vision of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, on the throne, his robe filling the temple in all of his glory and splendor. And what happened to Isaiah? What did Isaiah do? In a moment, face down on the ground, I am undone. And what did God do? Did God leave him there? No. God sent one of his angels to take a coal from the altar and cleanse him. What an awesome picture of Jesus Christ coming and cleansing our sin. Beautiful picture. If you want to do a great little Bible study this week, do this. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Read about the glory of the Lord there in Isaiah chapter 6 and then flip over to the end of John chapter 12 and just read carefully what John says about who Isaiah saw on the throne. I'm not going to give it away. No spoiler alert today, okay? You go and dig in yourself. But read what John says about who Isaiah actually saw on the throne and it will blow your mind and you will see the glory of Jesus Christ maybe like you've never seen it before. Awesome, awesome. Listen, that's the glory of the Lord as best as I can define it. But how do we behold it? I think we grasp what the glory of God is to a certain degree. But how do we behold it day by day? Here's a few things. I'm going to run through these kind of quick. Listen, point number two is basically the whole message. So don't get worried right now, okay? Point number three is like happening quick. So we're just going to run through a couple things right here in, in a moment. Okay, first of all, how do we behold the glory of the Lord? Here it is right here. Some of these will be review for many of you. Probably not real new, but hopefully God will press them into your heart in a fresh way. Right here. How do we behold the glory of the Lord? By faith, the primary way we behold the glory, or Jesus' glory, is through the word of God. Now notice that. By faith, the primary way we behold Jesus' glory is through the word of God. Now I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm a nature guy. I love nature. Okay, nature is a wonderful source of general revelation. We can behold the glory of God in nature in a limited way. Paul makes that abundantly clear in Romans chapter 1. We can also behold the glory of God in the lives of others. Love those God at work stories that we see of God transforming lives. We get a glimpse of the glory of God on display in the lives of others as they're changed and transformed. But the primary way, the number one way that we behold the glory of Jesus Christ in our lives day by day is through the word of God. It's through his written word, his inspired word that is given for us, not just so that we can have a rule book to live by, but so that we can see through faith the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ and be radically transformed by it. Listen, that's why God's given us his word. And so that's why, you know, these points are so important. First of all, how do we do that? Well, we do that through reading the word of God and studying the word of God daily. I just want to encourage you this morning. You know, if if you're not reading in God's word daily right now, I'm not going to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just going to say this simply. You are cutting off the greatest means to see the glory of Jesus Christ that he has given you. The greatest means of grace to see the glory of Christ that God has given you is his word to be read every single day. Consider the privilege that we have today. How many of us probably have, you know, five, six, seven Bibles in our home, Bible on our phone, ESV reading app right at our fingertips, all of these things. Yet we neglect the word of God. God's going to hold us accountable for that. We can bank on that. Okay, God will do that. But also, also, we are neglecting the means of grace, the means of our transformation to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's not a guilt trip. 
That's a come and eat. You want bread. You want to be satisfied and fulfilled in Christ. Come and eat. Come and feast on the word every day and be transformed. That's God's plan for our lives. And so that involves reading God's word. That involves studying God's word. Not just reading it so it flows like water through a pipe, but reading it so that it sticks. Which involves then meditating on God's word. Memorizing God's word, you know, we get a lot of weird kind of Eastern mystical ideas about meditation today that, you know, to think you're going to meditate, you got to go out in a park somewhere and sit in a weird way and hum. That's not meditation. I don't know what that is. That's weird, okay? Meditation on God's word is not emptying your mind to think of nothing. Meditation on God's word is filling your mind and heart with the word of God. It's taking it in, it's chewing it, it's digesting it, it's hanging on to it so it's there with you as you go about your day. It's writing a verse on the front of your phone. It's writing a verse on a sticky note and putting it in your car so that it's always in front of you. You see it and you're drawn back to the word of God so that you, in a moment, can then meditate on the word of God. It's hiding the word of God in your heart. So that when the enemy begins to shoot his darts at you, you can pull up a shield of faith and you can pull out the sword of the spirit. That's, that's, why, we me- that's why we memorize and that's why we meditate on God's word. But listen, even beyond that, it's also praying and applying God's word. Any of us, if we're, we're really honest, uh, maybe struggle to pray in an organized fashion. Anybody... Anybody just get cranked by the devil when they begin to pray? Just like, okay, you're there and you're like, I, I want to pray, I want to sit down and pray and you've got all these things that you really want to pray for and you go to sit down and your mind is like all over the place and you cannot focus at all. Anybody honest enough to put their hand up on that because mine's up high, I'll put both up on that one, okay? It's like every time, okay? Um, the enemy just goes to war when a believer gets down on their knees, okay? He, he sees that and that is the one thing that causes him to tremble, And the devil's greatest distraction is to keep us from prayer. And so if you struggle to stay kind of focused in prayer, let me encourage you to start praying God's word. Maybe just start praying in the Psalms. Maybe, you know, allow the Psalms to guide your prayers. Start with Psalm 1. Read through the Psalm. Ask the Lord for insight and application and begin to pray it back. Okay, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Oh God, oh God, would you help me not to walk in the way of the wicked today? Not to sit, Lord, with scoffers, and not to sit in their seat or to stand with them. Lord, help me to be a light and a witness, but help me not to walk with them and to throw my lot in with them today. And just begin to pray God's word. You'd be amazed how quick the application of God's word goes to your heart when you begin to pray God's word. It's like God just opens up the faucet of application and shows you what that text means for your life that day. That's an awesome, awesome thing. And then this, and I'm gonna say that this is the biggest one right here, that if we come to this, if we do this in our time in God's word every single day, we will be changed. Intentionally seeking to see and delight in Jesus Christ. If we come to the word, rather than just trying to learn something to be applied or to learn a new truth that we're not going to apply, if we come to the word with the intention of seeing and savoring Jesus Christ, we'll be transformed. That's what our text is telling us. It's telling us very clearly that if we seek to see Jesus each day, 
and we do see him through faith, that we will be transformed. Maybe let that be a little heart check for your own time in God's word right now. I know it's so easy to spend time in God's word and so easy to kind of blow through it and to prioritize your time in God's word and to make sure that you're there, but at the same time to kind of rush through it without intentionally, intentionally seeking to see Jesus Christ. And maybe you're right now, maybe you're reading in the Old Testament and maybe you're thinking to me right now, hey, how am I gonna see the glory of Jesus in the Old Testament? Can I just encourage you? Just put, put the Old Testament on, ta- on pause for a day and go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Jesus, after his resurrection, he meets the disciples on the Emmaus Road and he's walking with them and they don't know who it is. They're kind of, they can't, can't figure out who this guy is and who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem at that time and they're walking along and after they kind of finally, they figure it out after he's gone and they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up all of the scriptures concerning himself? Listen, what was Jesus opening up? The Old Testament or the New Testament? It was the Old Testament. He was showing his disciples his glory in the Old Testament. Listen, if you come to the Old Testament, God, open my eyes to see your glory. Man, that's, that's gonna come alive for you in your life. I really wanna strongly encourage you to pursue the glory of Jesus Christ in the word. What John Owen says about this, one of the old Puritan authors and theologians, is it's really convicting and it's convicted me John Owen says this, it is impossible that someone who never meditates with delight on the glory of Christ here in this world, who does not make every effort to behold it by faith as revealed in scripture, should ever have any real gracious desire to behold it in heaven. It is sad, therefore, that many can find time to think much on earthly foolish things, but have no heart, no desire to meditate on Christ. May that not be us. Oh, God forbid that that would be us, that we would have so much time to meditate on earthly, foolish things, but not to meditate on the glory of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you right now. I'm just going to take a little pause as we get towards the end of this message. We've got a couple other things to cover right at the end here. But we just want to take a little pause. I want you to consider the glory of Jesus Christ. And so maybe right now, there's going to be really nothing up on the screen that you need to write down. You're not going to miss anything. I want to invite you maybe right now, just in your seat, just to close your eyes. Just as I share a few reasons why Jesus is so glorious and why he is so great, just close your eyes and in your own heart, take a moment to delight in him right now. Listen to who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus Christ is the full glowing radiance of God. Jesus Christ upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the sum total of all perfection. Jesus shares the Father's throne in glory. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is carrying out his redemptive plan. Jesus has overcome the world, sin, and the grave. Jesus is the destroyer of death. Jesus is the promised seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How awesome is that? Jesus is the Alpha, he is the Omega, he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, and Jesus Christ is coming again in glory. Every eye will see him, every ear will hear him, every knee will bow down, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. How awesome is he? Listen, listen church, 
The way that we are transformed is when we, through the eyes of faith, behold the glory and the greatness of Jesus Christ and are gripped by it. We are changed. We are changed bit by bit, little by little, into his image. You can open up your eyes now if you want to. Listen, Jesus prays for believers specifically. He prays for me. He prays for you in John 17, 24. He prays that we would see his glory. That's Jesus' prayer. That's God's heart for each one of us, that we would see through faith his glory and that we would be changed by it. How does this change actually happen in our lives? Here's a couple things that we're going to put up real quick that explain the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification, here's a few things on the screen that we need to get. We just need to get this stuff. We can't think that God's sanctifying process is going to happen in a magic moment in one instant that we are just going to be boom, and that's going to be it. It's all going to be done. That's glorification. That's the day of glory when we're taken to heaven. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is what God does in the process, and the final result of sanctification is glorification, but there's a difference. How does this happen in our lives? I want us to notice a couple things here. First of all, sanctification, it actually changes us. It actually changes us. There's kind of a notion in the evangelical church in North America today that sanctification doesn't really change us. It maybe changes our desires a tiny bit, but it really doesn't bring about any true lasting change in our lives. That's false. That's anti-biblical. That's against what is said right here in this text. Because the word that is used in this text for change is the word transformation. It's the word metamorphosis. It is the word that actually describes the physical change from one thing to another thing that the Lord does in the life of a believer. And so it involves actual change. We are truly changed. The Greek word here for transformed is metamorphou. Metamorphou really refers to the idea of metamorphosis. It's where we get that word. And it's a larva going to an insect or kids, a caterpillar to a butterfly. Listen, caterpillars can't fly. Butterflies can. Pretty awesome transformation, isn't it? Crawls up into that cocoon and it is transformed. That's what Paul's going after here. That's what the Lord's going after in our lives. He's trying to make us into the image of Jesus Christ When I was a kid, I used to go out and catch tadpoles and put them in a bucket and watch them try to turn into frogs over a period of time. I could hardly ever keep them alive long enough, but it was pretty neat to watch their little legs come out and them grow and transform. And that's what God is going after in our lives, but he's not doing it physically. He's doing it spiritually in our lives to make us like Jesus Christ. Webster's Dictionary defines metamorphosis as a physical change from one structure to another or substance to another, especially by a supernatural means. That's the first thing. God's change process, his transforming work actually changes us. It changes our desires, it changes our heart, but then it changes our actions as well. Perfectly? No, not until glory. But yes, bit by bit, every single day, we are made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And then get this, get this. Second, it's accomplished progressively. It actually changes us, and it's accomplished progressively. We see that right in the text. It says right in the middle of verse 18 that we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Get that image. 
in your head and in your heart. Think of maybe a compass, okay? A compass with all of its degrees on it. And we are transformed one degree at a time. Little by little, we are transformed to be like Jesus Christ. Biblical change very rarely happens in a magic moment and it's not a once and done type of thing. It's an, it involves a continual process that goes from the day that we are saved until the day of glory when Jesus Christ returns or until the day when he takes us home to be with him. Proverbs chapter four, verse 18 paints a beautiful picture of this. Proverbs four eighteen says this. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Isn't that an awesome picture? You know, you wake up in the morning and you wake up early. Maybe this morning as our, as our boys woke us up nice and early and there's just a little bit of light out there. And you can, you can stare at the sunrise. You know, you could, you could stare all day if it would last. And you can stare at it and your eyes won't hurt. But by lunchtime, don't stare at the sun. Right? Think about that image that the sun rising, growing brighter and brighter. Listen to what it says. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. David Pallison gives a great example of this progressive change process. I'm going to borrow his example. I think it's really helpful. I remember I came across it in a biblical counseling class that I took last summer. And uh, David Pallison uh, says, you know, that he borrowed this example from someone else. And uh, he says, you know, this is a really encouraging example of change in a believer's life. And he begins to describe the change process. And he says, the change process of God in our lives is like a yo-yo. I'm like, man, this is not encouraging at all. If my life is always going to be like a yo-yo up and down, that does not encourage me at all. But I kept listening. And he says, you know, the change process of God in a believer's life is like a yo-yo. Held in the hands of a faithful man who is walking up a set of stairs. It starts to take shape in my mind. The yo-yo is up and down. But the man, the faithful man, is walking up the stairs. And then he said this. He said, that faithful man will get the yo-yo to the top of the stairs. There's no question about that. He won't drop it. Be assured of that today. The Lord Jesus Christ won't drop your life. He won't drop the change process. He's faithful. And then he said this. He's not going to throw it up to the top floor. He's going to carry it one step at a time. And that process may not be as fast as you want it to be. But the man who holds the yo-yo and controls the yo-yo is faithful. And his name is Jesus Christ. He will get it to the top. And you can be assured of that. Listen, let the words of Philippians 1 verse 6 be a comfort to you this morning. That he who started the good work in you. Who started your salvation? Jesus Christ did. He who started the good work in you will carry it on till the day of completion. How awesome is that? He's faithful. And your, your sanctification will be continued and will be accomplished progressively, bit by bit, day by day, until the day of Jesus Christ. But listen, we've also got to get this. We also have to get point number three here in this list. And the third point is this, that our sanctification is accurate in its purpose. God doesn't miss his mark. He's not going to miss the mark 
with your sanctification. He's not going to miss the mark with your walk in Jesus Christ. God's arrows never go astray. God always hits what he intends to. And listen, your life, your life is being held in the hands of the faithful creator right now at this moment and he will get it to the destination and the destination of your faith in Christ is that one day you would be like Jesus Christ, that you would be purified in every single way, that you would be washed entirely, that you would be made into a new creation who is radically totally different for the glory of God. You ever get that feeling in a worship service where you know, you're longing just to call out to the Lord and to sing to the Lord with all of your might, but you're just so hindered by the weight of sin and the flesh and the body and all of these things. Listen, there will be a day when God cleanses you, washes you so clean, takes you to be with him in glory, and on that day, he will accomplish all of his purposes in you. That's awesome. Man, don't you long for that day? Don't you long for the day when Jesus Christ returns and takes us to be with him? Man, I should get you fired up to think about that, okay? That should get your heart going and it shouldn't cause you to retreat and just go live like a monk somewhere. That should cause you to live for the glory of Jesus every day, to be bold and courageous for the gospel, to pursue him like you've never pursued him before. But listen, even as you're doing all of those things, as you're doing it, it is God who is doing that work in you because he's the one who starts it. He's the one who will complete it. And God isn't just going after any random change in our lives. He has a very specific purpose in his mind. He is going to transform each and every believer to be like his son and he's going to do that through the progressive, continual work of his Holy Spirit. Listen, God's process for lasting change in our lives, it requires three things, really. First of all, it requires believing firmly in his promises. Second, it requires beholding Jesus' glory continually each day, moment by moment through that day. And then third, here's the last thing this morning. We're just gonna hit this quick. Third, it involves banking entirely on the Holy Spirit's help. Listen. Apart from the Holy Spirit, even if you opened up your Bible in the morning and you sat there and you just said, okay, I'm going to see the glory of Jesus today. You can't even do that on your own. Listen, that veil of sin, it clings so closely. It's been lifted, yes, but there's still indwelling sin there. We need the Holy Spirit's help every single day to purify us, to sanctify us, and to set our eyes on Jesus Christ. That is the point of the end of the verse. Notice what it says right at the end of the verse. We come back to this again. This whole work, this whole transforming work that we're talking about here, all of this, every part of it, beginning, middle, end, all of it comes from, this, from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who does this in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms us bit by bit. I love what John MacArthur says about this. I love what he, how he talks about the, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. He says this, and I think it'll be up on the screen. He says, As they gaze, as believers gaze on the glory of the Lord, believers are continually being transformed into Christ's likeness. The ultimate goal of the believer is to be like Christ by continually focusing on him. The spirit transforms the believer more and more into his image. Do you get that this morning? That when you sit down to read God's word, you open up the Bible and you pray a simple prayer, Jesus, show me your glory today. 
open my eyes to see it. I know it's there. I know that it's there on every page. Just open my eyes and my heart to see it. When you pray that prayer, do you know what happens? The Holy Spirit goes to work in your life instantly. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's primary role in the life of a believer is to open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Go back and read John chapter 16. That's the main goal in the life of the believer is to open our eyes to see how great and awesome Jesus is because as we see that, we are changed. And so listen, believer, this morning, I wanna encourage you with everything that I have to believe God's promises. We looked at one this morning in verse 17, but the word of God is packed with promises. If you're struggling to know God's promises or believe them, just go back and do a study this week on the promises of God revealed in scripture. When I preached this message at our church a little while ago, one of our flock leaders got back to me and said, you know, I've just been looking on my own and I've come up with already 365 already just in one day. He said, that's enough for every single day of the year. I think I'm gonna start writing them on my calendar. I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. So just do, dig in, dig in and, and look for God's promises and believe firmly in them. And then behold his son in the word. You know, if you're struggling for a place to read right now in scripture and maybe you've been in and out and here and there and all over, can I just recommend to you the book of John? The Gospel of John, it's a great spot to start. If you want to see the glory of Jesus, go to the Gospel of John. It's there on every page. It's right there in verse 14. He says, this is the purpose of the book because we've seen his glory full of grace and truth. Now let me unpack it. And that's, he goes right after that in the book and just pray, Lord, would you open my eyes to see your glory? And then be changed bit by bit, moment by moment into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, genuine lasting life change, it doesn't come from simply having a good plan. It doesn't come from simply going through the motions. Lasting life change in our lives, day by day, comes through beholding the glory of Jesus Christ in scripture and being transformed. It's a breath of fresh air when you open up the Bible and you see with fresh eyes how great and glorious Jesus is. I pray that you would be blessed by that this coming week, this coming month, and this coming year, and that as the Lord does this here in this church, that he would grow each one into his own image and that he would transform Harvest Ottawa to be a church that displays the glory of Christ in radical and awesome ways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for your word. We thank you for your word, which is full of truth, which is full of you more than anything, God, and that we can see your glory through faith, through the work of your Holy Spirit. Oh God, would you open our eyes to it, Lord? I pray that we've tasted a little bit this morning, but God, would this not just be the meal of this week, Lord? Would we leave here and would we feast deeply on your word, Lord, to be transformed by it? Oh Lord, show us how glorious you are, Lord. Open each heart to it. God, if there's a heart here this morning that is just closed to your goodness and your mercy, even as we sing this last song, Lord, would your greatness and your faithfulness and your compassion just melt that heart this morning? Lord, if there's eyes of, of faith that are closed here this morning, Lord, would you open them up? Wake them up this morning, Lord. Ignite our passion for Jesus Christ as we sing, Lord, and as we continue in worship, we pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>